What's that? Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. This is Inside the Truck, presented by Summer Skates. Show your game off the ice. Inside the Truck, pulling back the curtain on sports television production. Here is Steve Lansky and Paul Hemming. I'm Steve Lansky. I was the youngest producer in the history of Hockey Night in Canada. I produced the CFL on CBC, including the 1989 Grey Cup, baseball, basketball, golf. I'm the luckiest guy on this earth. And I'm Paul Hemming. I've been a live sports TV director for over 20 years. I've directed the NHL, CFL, and World Juniors for TSN, the NHL and Hockey Night in Canada for Sportsnet, the San Jose Sharks for NBC Sports California, and currently... I'm the broadcast director for the Carolina Hurricanes on Fox Sports Carolinas. So we'd like to thank NFL coaching legend Jim Mora for our cold opening today. That was from November 2001, just after they'd lost to the 49ers. They'd fallen to four and six, and some jackass in the media asked him about making the playoffs, and that was his answer. Now, Jim Mora didn't want to talk about playoffs that day, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jim, but that's all. Paul and I are going to talk about today is playoffs. Hey, Steve, and Coach Mora was not the only new twist to the top of Episode 8. You may have noticed that we have a new presenting sponsor, Summer Skates, has joined the Inside the Truck family, and we're pretty excited to have them on board. For those of you that not, are not familiar with Summer Skates, they are the ultimate hockey player footwear. Their motto is, you walk the talk and show your game off the ice. For those of you not familiar with Summer Skates, they are made with real skate laces, They are the slide leader in terms of comfort, quality, performance, and value. Summer skates are washable, just air dry to keep fresh and clean and healthy for your active lifestyle off the ice. And Steve, I believe that you may have received your first pair yesterday. I most certainly did. And I would not promote or talk about anything on this podcast that I hadn't tried or that I didn't think was a superior product. And I put them on and it was like, wow. The cushiony comfort in the sole really surprised me. Uh, it was beautiful, and they just fit absolutely perfectly. They're a beautiful product. And let me guess, yours came with a 97 on them. They did. Uh, it also said McDavid. So that worked out well. <laughs> I bought my first pair six summers ago. I still have them. I, I wear them uh, down here in the Carolinas. I can wear them pretty much every day of the year. They are outstanding. So for those of you not familiar with them, I would check them out today. Summer skates. Dot com. Uh, we'd like to thank Summer Skates so much for their partnership and are extremely excited to have them as part of the Inside the Truck family. Indeed. Welcome, Summer Skates. Okay, Paul, before we start, I want to read a couple of tweets that I got, if that's okay. So the first one's from Mark Kula in Kelowna. You ever been to Kelowna? Love Kelowna. Been there once. I did an exhibition game uh, for the 2006 World Junior Hockey Championships, which ironically you'll hear about later in this episode. Nice. I don't think I've ever been to Kelowna. I've been to Naramata, though, which is on the east side of Okanagan Lake. It's beautiful. Anyway, Mark tweeted, I may never passively watch a game again, and now will truly appreciate what the guys in the truck are doing to make it all seamless and entertaining. And that was from listening to the podcast. Wow. How about that? 
And here's the second tweet I got. Because of your podcast, the missus is now joining me in the cave for live sports. She says she didn't realize how intricate and fascinating a broadcast could be. And you know what, Paul? When I read those tweets, I think basically that's the entire goal of this for me. I mean, we're two individuals, obviously, so we have separate goals. But for me, that was always the goal, was to pull back the curtain a bit, tell people what happens, and maybe give them an appreciation for everything, the entire dance, not just, you know, the last three seconds of flourish that you see when the music ends. It's the entire dance that's required to bring the live show to fruition. You're right. And those tweets, Steve, just confirm with us that for us, the podcast has been mission accomplished. And that last tweet we just read was from Greg Lockhart. Okay, Steve. So uh, let's get at today's topic, uh, playoffs. And we thought that uh, the timing of this would be perfect as the Stanley Cup playoffs are sort of nearing the end of the second round before they all move to Big Bubble City in Edmonton. These stories that we're about to tell, sometimes some of them are about TV, some of them aren't. Some of them are just really good stories. And uh, I, I've got three today that, that are near and dear to me. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I got three. You're right. I think with playoffs, and this is kind of the one thing I always thought about playoffs, is you're thrust into literally two months with the same, we were at Hockey Night anyway, with the same, I don't know, half dozen people. Mm -hmm. You may quite like each other. You may Mm -hmm. not like each other much, as you'll see from some of my stories. But it doesn't really matter because for those two months, You've got you've to make it work. And I'll be honest, when I was going to come up with these stories, I, I kept a journal. I've kept a journal since I started my professional life. It's not a diary, but it's just basically what we did that day in note form. Mm-hmm. And I started going through my journals from when I was at Hockey Night. And I got to be honest, Paul, by the second year, I was exhausted Mm-hmm. from reading everything that we that I'd done in that time period. I mean, it was nonstop. It's a miracle I'm not dead. With the, <laughs> flight, with the flights that we took, there were no charters, with no. the flights that we took and the games that we did. And while I was doing hockey night playoffs, I was also doing Pacific Coast League baseball with the Trappers and the Calgary Cannons. So I'd do a hockey right. game one day, a baseball game the next day. I'd fly somewhere. I'd do a hockey game. I'd fly back. I'd do a baseball game. It was quite staggering to read it back. I mean, you're, you're basically condensing two years into one year. It's, it's, it is, it's insane. Uh, but they are our TV families, and uh, it does lend itself oftentimes to many good stories. All right, big boy. Much to Jim Mora's dismay, we're all about playoffs. Hit it. Okay, Steve, so my first playoff story, the year was 1996. It was March of 1996. I was working at TSN at the time, and I got assigned to direct a WHL quarterfinal playoff game in Regina. It was the Lethbridge Hurricanes and the Regina Pats at the old Agrodome in Regina. And there is nothing like playoff hockey to begin with, but there is nothing like WHL hockey, playoff hockey. Going to the rink that day, I had absolutely no clue what was going to unfold uh, that evening. Uh, the game was televised nationally on TSN, and I'd only been directing for like about a year. So I was still kind of a, I was still a newbie. I was still a, a greenling. This game, Steve, lasted 
122 minutes and 46 seconds. <laughs> By the end of the night, it was the longest game in WHL history. I believe that now it ranks third. What a night it was. And my story doesn't really so much involve the actual moments of the game. Uh, for those of you who want to know, Josh Holden, a couple of names blast from the past. Josh Holden tipped in a Derek Morris point shot at 246 of the fourth overtime to give Regina the win. The game was an instant classic, but despite all that hockey, all that drama, it wasn't the most vivid memories I have of that night. A couple of them have nothing to do with hockey at all, Steve. But I want to tee this up for you, and here's the man who was on the call that night for TSN, Mr. Paul Romanuk. Romy's got his memories of this game, and that will lead me into mine. So, Romy, take it away. Well, <laughs> after all these years, my lingering memory of the game is that the longer the game went on, the more concerned I got that we weren't going to be able to get a bite to eat after the game. <laughs> because the way it works in the TV world, if you're on the announcing crew, is you usually have a big lunch, and then you head to the rink kind of mid-late afternoon, and you do the game, and then you go out afterwards, and you have a late bite to eat and a couple of beers. So the longer this game went on, it became more and more obvious that we were in Regina, not exactly the capital of all-night dining, uh, and we weren't going to be able to get a bite to eat. And I remember the arena completely ran out of food. They had nothing. There was no coffee, no hot dogs, nothing. And it was so bad that as the game went on, the teams ordered pizza uh, to come in. And for the players, we didn't see any of that. And I can remember going on the air late in the game and saying, if there was anyone out there who'd be good enough to send us a pizza and some coffee, we would be forever in your debt. I don't recall if anybody did. I don't think they did. I remember the game ended and looking at the clock in the old Regina Agrodome, and it was you know 10 minutes after one in the morning local time, and I thought, we are hooped for getting a bite to eat. And guess what? We were. So we went to bed hungry, and we all got up first thing the next morning, to catch an early flight home, such as life on the road. That's my memory. <laughs> yeah, uh, Romy, I, I will never forget that call from the booth for coffee, pizza, popcorn, anything that could be delivered to you guys uh, and us down in the truck uh, in Regina. That was classic. And you got to be careful, Steve, because when you're in the prairies, when you put out a call for stuff like that, even on a Thursday night at 1130, prairie folks will answer that call. They and will. Be the they will. They will. They'll be at the door at the Agrodome banging to get in saying, here's some fresh popcorn that I made for you guys. So anyways, uh, that was a classic moment in that broadcast. But as I mentioned before, at this point in my career, I'd only been directing live remotes for about a year. And, and as, a uh, as a young sports director, Steve, you're battling your instincts a lot. Uh, you know, when to cut, where to cut. For example, you know, tight follow, tight follow cut is that low camera just above the glass. Like, where do you cut that camera? One of the dead giveaways for people who don't know the game is they'll cut that camera as, an, uh, as the team is uh, approaching the offensive blue line. What do you mean uh, fighting your instincts? Like, wouldn't you just go with your instincts? Well, you know, your instinct in that situation would be say, hey, I got a great shot of the far winger busting down the boards with the puck. Got it. And you want to get down low to show that speed, that, you know, the skill but as he's approaching the blue line, you need to yeah. be up top on the game camera. Yeah. And why? Because if you cut that forward low on the far boards, then if there's an offside on the near boards, you completely miss it. The whistle goes. 
the guy at home has no idea why they stopped the play. And then you'll obviously show them in replay. So you're fighting yourself all the time on when to cut low. And that, that's, just, that, that's just one example. The other examples can be down in the, uh, we have corner, corner handheld cameras, which are sort of mini cameras down on the goal line in both corners. And there's an art to really cutting those. With the puck being in the uh, offensive zones, puck can be in the net, especially in the NHL level, in less than a second, right? So you have to really know there's an art to reading those cameras and knowing when and where to cut them. So anyway, as a young director, I'm not really, I haven't got this button down yet. I'm still, this, the game is going a million miles an hour for me. But the one thing, one moment I'll never forget from that game, and it was a, it was a key moment in my development as a director was the play was, I don't know who had the puck, but the play was going from right to left on your TV screen. The puck carrier was on the near boards. As he approached the game camera, I stayed high. I was on the game camera showing that the play was onside. I looked down for a brief second at the left corner handheld, so the attacking corner handheld, and I got a great shot of the guy coming in along the half boards. He's probably halfway up the, uh, up the circle, and I just, take, I just take it. I don't even, I don't even bat an eyelid. I just take it. It's an unreal shot of the player, Steve, showing speed, showing that the player's in all alone. But what happens next, uh, it got off the rails in a hurry. Yeah, that's, I think that's why I said, uh-oh. Yeah, because yeah. He, he didn't shoot the puck. He drove down low to the goal line and cut right into the net, all, all in the same motion. And he tucked the puck up past the goalie on the near side. So in the middle of this pandemonium, I just cut back to the game camera. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to score. Get back to the game camera. And oh, it was yeah. right in the middle of the cut. And, and so now, you know, puck's in the net. It's a, it's a Regina goal. There's pandemonium going off in the agronome. So I'm like taking, you know, player, goalie, bench shot, crowd, player, crowd, you know, get to, get to replay, right? And uh, we get into replay. We come out of the replay sequence. And I get a chance finally to take a breath. And I look at my producer that night. It was Paul Graham, veteran producer. I look at him and, I, and it, he goes by PG. And I said, hey, PG, was that cut okay? <laughs> and I will never, ever forget his response. His response was, Chop, you're not good enough to make that cut yet, and you should have stuck with it. And I was like, okay, I, that could go one of two ways, right? That could either be a, 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 just a flat-out criticism that you screwed that up, kid, or it could be taken as a constructive criticism. And that's the way that I took it. And despite only being a year into my, my directorial career, what that moment told me was that my instinct was right. I bailed at the wrong time, but my instinct to look at that corner camera and get there, you know, and I'll learn now, I learned that if you're going to make that cut, you got to stay with it. But that for me was a fundamental moment in me learning and knowing and having, trusting my instinct 100% when to make those low cuts. And it was a huge part of my career. And I'll never forget that. I can close my eyes and remember that situation like it was yesterday. It's funny you'd say that about instinct because I remember, um, I, I can't remember the exact situation, but I remember asking uh, John Shannon, who was our senior producer in Calgary, after somebody scores in overtime, how do you know when to go to a replay? How do you know how long to take the celebration and go to a replay? I mean, do you count in your head? What? And I'll never forget his answer. It was, it was similar. It rem, and what you said reminded me. He said, you'll just know. You'll feel it. And I mm -hmm. thought, that is the weirdest crap I've ever heard. And guess mm -hmm. what? It's a mm -hmm. fact. You'll oh, know. Yeah. You'll feel but it. You got right? to watch it like a viewer. Oh, yeah. now's the time for the replay. Perfect. Yep. And you yep. slide it in.
And I had another moment like that super early in my career as a director, the way to transition between one camera shot to another, you can be a take, which is just simply a cut, or you can dissolve. And I'll never forget Rick Chisholm, who was my mentor. I remember right, or very early in my stages, I called him one night at home. And I'm like, Rick, I, I got to know. I said, I got to know. How do you know when to dissolve and when to take? And he said the exact same thing. It's a feel thing. It's a moment thing. If you're cutting a goal, you know, you're cutting a sequence, bang, 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 and you want to slow the pace down, just dissolve. Um, and a dissolve automatically slows things down. But it's a feel thing. And there's no, there's no hard and fast rules. There's no instruction manual on how to do this. You just know it. It feels it. You need to paint that Picasso as you're going to sit back and enjoy that Picasso. I've never conducted an orchestra, but I assume it would be a bit like that, reading the room, feeling, knowing what your performers and your, your um, musicians can do, what they can't do, and then playing off that as well as you can. Yep, exactly. And Steve, my other vivid memory from that night, because uh, we'll move along, we got lots to get to in this episode. Uh, my other vivid memory of that night involves the men's room. Okay. Do you, Should we, yeah. do we put in a content warning here or no? <laughs> you may want to, <laughs> but by the end of the of regulation, I had to pee so badly. I'd been drinking coffee after coffee after coffee, and when the coffee ran out, I went to bottled water. You, weren't going, you, know, you that, weren't going out in the intermissions? You weren't taking intermission breaks? No, I wasn't. No, oh, I wasn't. No. What a ro- that's a rookie. Yep. That's the biggest well, rookie right. move of this whole game. And that's because I was a rookie. <laughs> but, but as anybody who works in TV knows, coffee and water is a bad combo. So anyways, in a commercial break, as soon as we get to break at the end of regulation, I run into one of the ice level restrooms. I'm belly up at the urinal when in strolls Brian Maxwell, the head coach of Lethbridge. I, I, you know, I guess he'd sort of briefed, you know, he went in, got his message across to his team, and then he wanted to leave his team alone. So he, he walked out of the room and used another restroom on the, at, the, at ice level at the old acronym. So I'm sitting there belly up at the urinal, you know, just take a care of business. And then in he, in he strolls, he comes right up to the urinal beside me. And so, of course, eyes forward. I say, hey, coach, wild one tonight. You know, good, good luck in the overtime. Hopefully you guys can, can end it right away. And, you know, again, eyes forward. He thanked me and I took off. I ran back to the truck. So guess, guess what happens two more times, Steve? <laughs> uh, Brian so, Maxwell was at the urinal waiting for you to arrive. That's correct. And did you yes, have to say the exact same words? <laughs> I did. I said, <laughs> I go, I said, coach, can you end, can you guys just do me a favor and end this quickly? And, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'd love to do that, working on that, you know. Okay, good luck, coach. Yeah, okay, thanks. And then I think the last time I said, good luck, coach. He goes, yeah, you too. <laughs> and I'm like, so I was just, I wasn't peeing myself laughing, but in the back of it because I just peed. But uh, I was laughing all the way back to the truck. I'll never forget that. Those three encounters with Brian Maxwell at the same urinal at the Acredome in Regina. And I can't, I can't imagine Brian Maxwell would forget them either. I'm sure they're seared in his head. <laughs> so in a weird dovetail that you and I haven't planned, this story also involves Rick Chisholm. <laughs> We're doing the 1987 Stanley Cup playoffs. And when you did the when you were a producer for Hockey Night in the 80s, you didn't get a lot of power play time. It was like being the third line center for the New York Islanders. You had John mm-hmm. Shannon and Doug Beforth in front of you as producers. So you didn't do many playoff games, but I did the 1987 first round series between the Oilers and the Kings. The Oilers were just coming off their 86 series loss where Steve Smith decided to bank it in off Grant Fuhr's foot. So they had a lot to prove in 87. 
So they were going to play the Kings. Yeah, they're going to play the Kings in the first round. Smite Division semifinal. And unbelievably, Paul, I still can't believe this kind of. This series was only televised by CBC Edmonton. It's unbelievable. It wasn't even in northern Alberta. Mm -hmm. The rest of Alberta got Calgary. Mm -hmm. Only CBC Edmonton got the Oilers. Wow. So we're going to do this series. And they're not going to give us the A team, including me, if I got to be honest. And Rick Chisholm's our director. He's just breaking into directing. He's done games in Toronto, but not very many. Well, they're not going to give him a Toronto Maple Leafs playoff series, and they're not going to give him a series in the East, Montreal, where there's a ton of viewers. They're going to give him this series to kind of cut his teeth. And I remember before the first game, sitting in his room at the Shadow Lacombe, basically talking him off the ledge, like him saying, I can't do this. I can't do that. Rick, yes, you can. Yes, you can do this. We're going to keep it simple. This was a five-game series. This ended up being a five-game series. We had a hell of a series, television-wise, hockey-wise. Rick did a hell of a job. But at Mm -hmm. that moment, that was a very shaky moment for him, and I remember that. So the series starts, and the Kings win the first game. Grant Fearlett's in three goals in the third period. Dave Williams, Bobby Carpenter, the can't-miss kid, who kind of (laughs) missed. Although his daughter's a pretty good player. (laughs) And Bob Bourne also scored in the third period. So then the Oilers get, oh, I'm going to say pissed off. So in game two... L.A. comes back with three goals, and the Oilers got 13. Right, right. It was that one missed convert. That's right. Yerry Curry pulled it left. Mm-hmm. So that was a hell of a game that I will never forget. And I, I think we did a beautiful job television-wise. Gretzky had a goal and six assists, including his 177th career Stanley Cup playoff point, which moved him past John Beliveau. Uh, for top spot on the all-time list. So we went to L.A. with the series tied 1-1. And what's important to remember now in this series is because we weren't exactly the A-team, we had minimal crew. And Steve Armitage, God loves Steve Armitage, one of the most three professional broadcasters I've ever worked with. Scott Oak would be in there. Chris Cuthbert, uh-huh. Double C would be in there. And Army would be in there. You, yep. could throw Army, you could throw Army whatever you wanted on the air. And he could handle it. Honest to God, his Hockey Night Blue Blazer could be on fire and you would never know. One day I'll tell a Grey Cup story that will prove that, but it won't be today. So Army's doing play-by-play and hosting. And John Garrett is our color guy. And we go to L.A. to do game three. I guess I'll let Army pick up the story from there. It was a playoff game between uh, the Oilers and uh, the Kings in the old forum, uh, long before Staples Center. And the studio was in the uh, basement or ice level next to the dressing rooms. And in the practice in the morning, uh, the morning skate, we had rehearsed. I had done a little opening in the studio, run up the stairwell, which was three flights, to get to the broadcast position. Of course, the stairwell at that time of morning was empty. So I flew up in about 20 seconds, got to the booth, sat down, put my headset on, and would have pretended I was doing the play-by-play with John Garrett. So, of course, come game time, I do the opening, which is about 90 seconds. I get to the stairwell, and it's full of people because the boxes uh, in L.A. weren't in the actual building. They were down in the basement. So they were all coming down to go to the 
get a drink or whatever. So it was full. So, of course, I was pushing and shoving my way to get to the top to put the headset on due to play-by-play. And, of course, I couldn't, so Cheech actually had to start doing the play-by-play. I got there, and it, it was only about 10 or 15 seconds into the game, put the headset on, and away we went. Well, at the end of the first period, I threw the commercial cue and took the headset off, turned around, and went back down the stairwell. Of course, again, it was jammed with people. It's easier going down. I'm pushing and shoving. I get to the studio, and there's my guest. And I'm... Put the headset on, and my producer Steve Lansky said, "Take your time, big guy. <laughs> we got lots of time. We won't start the interview till you're ready." Of course, I was able to do the interview, uh, throw the commercial, and get upstairs for the start of the second period. Did the same thing at the end of the second period. Had a little thing to do in between second and third. Uh, and uh, so that, that going down was a lot easier, but getting back up was a problem. But it was something that... Uh, had never happened to me before, certainly. I don't think in the history, the long history of Hockey Night in Canada, it had ever happened before. And it's stuck in my mind as, as a, kind of a funny, odd, different uh, Hockey Night in Canada memory for many, many years. So the going down is the one I remember, Paul. First intermission, mm-hmm. Army throws to break, puts down his headset, takes off. Luke Robitaille walks into the studio, somebody to do an interview with the Kings. The lights are out because it's not, you don't want to heat up the studio. And Don Lawrence, who's our script assistant, starts counting us back. One minute back, 45 back, 30 back. No Army. Army hasn't come into the studio. Studio's dark. You don't turn the lights up because you don't want it to heat up. And Rick Chisholm looks at me and says, what do you want to do? I said, we're just going to, right? We're just going to come back with a wide shot and a score. And when Army gets there, he gets there. And Rick says, what if he never gets there? I'm like, don't, I don't want to hear stuff like that. Don't tell me stuff like that. Meanwhile, Don's going 30 back, 25 back, no army. Luke's sitting there. It's still in the dark. Pierre Fagnon's our floor director. We brought him down from Edmonton because you really want a guy who knows what he's doing in a U.S. city where you're doing the Stanley Cup playoffs. So that was money well spent. So back in Don's like back in five, four, three, two, one, we're back. And Chiz looks at me and I'm like, Widen score. Let's just stay there, buddy. Keep that music going. Hope you got long music. Audio <laughs> guy gives me the thumbs up. He's got long music. And sure enough, music's going. Finally, Army bursts into the room. And he looks like Chris Farley. It was in half his movies. The tie is one side. The shirt is another way. <laughs> and the lights come up. And I look at him. And he's like, and Chiz goes, ready to go through to the studio. I'm like, no, no. Not yet. You got to give him a minute to set himself. The guy's almost dead. (laughs) Meanwhile, Steve puts his IFB in. IFB, short for interrupted foldback. It's an in-your-ear system for direct communications from the TV truck to the commentator. And once his IFB's in, I can talk to him. And I say, Army, don't worry. We're not going to come to you until you're ready. Meanwhile, his chest is just, like he said, his chest is just heaving. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm like, and I got my hand up in front of Chiz. And I'm like, wait, wait. Finally, Army gives me the hands up. And I say, go ahead, Chiz. And he's like, through to the studio. Cue Army. Bring your music down. Open his mic. And away we go. 
And I'll never forget. And so we finish, we go back to break. And I said, what happened? Where were you? And he said, oh my God, the stairway was a madhouse. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't get down. They were pushing me. There was ladies in high heels. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so the only change we make is I turn back to Don and I say, for the rest of the intermissions here in LA, let's make that first break at 2.30 rather than a 2. And that gives Army time to get down. And that's what we did. <laughs> that was an awesome story involving Rick Chisholm, who I love dearly. Great, to, great man. He had a lot to do with my career. And I, I thank him for that if he's listening. Uh, Steve, my next story, Patrick Waugh's final game, 2003 Stanley Cup playoffs. Okay. It was April 22nd. Uh, we were at the Pepsi Center in Denver. Minnesota Wild and the Colorado Avalanche, Stanley Cup, quarterfinals, game seven, televised nationally on TSN, series tied at three games apiece, which was, uh, if you can remember, was a shocker because the Avs back then were dominant, right? They'd gone to the conference final, I think the last two years in a row before that. Minnesota should have just been nothing but a speed bump on their way to the Western Conference final again, but the Wild would have nothing to do with it. And uh, Richard Park scored an overtime goal in Minnesota to tie the game at th- to tie the series at three, moving it back to Denver. This story, I'm not going to get into too much of the specifics of the game because that's not really what my memory is from this one, but I will quickly recap. Colorado was leading 2-1 with about five minutes left. Wild go on the power play, and Marion Gabrick from the half boards, I believe it was, just wired one past Patrick Waugh to tie, to tie the game. And so now we're heading to overtime. Uh, overtime wouldn't take long, though. I was about three minutes into it. Minnesota's Andrew Brunette, he busted in alone from the blue line. He was going to fire one from basically like the top of the circles. But instead, he said, nope, I'm going to go to Old Faithful. And he drove the net, went forehand, backhand, and flipped the puck over Patrick Waugh to give Minnesota an unbelievable 4-3 victory in game seven pardon pardon the pun here but it was a wild series one that Colorado should have dominated but Andrew Brunette's series winning goal however was not the memory that I carry with me from that night Dave Randorf was our play-by-play man on the call that night for TSN so I'm gonna let Dave set the scene for my most vivid memory from that night take it away Dave When you are lucky enough to work in sports television, you never really know when you're going to be there on that night when you are documenting history as a crew. And that night we certainly were. I mean, when everybody talks about Patrick Waugh's last game, you immediately think of his last game as a Montreal Canadian, which was a relatively drawn-out, very public soap opera in Montreal. In this case, it just all came to a sudden stop in overtime. And we found out about a month later that arguably the greatest goaltender in the history of the game would never play another game. So after the game, you know, we're cleaning up, uh, you know, packing up our stuff. Just, you know, all we have to do is get back to the hotel that night. We've got a flight out the next morning. But I go in and I thank everybody. I'd like to do that, especially at the end of a series. Just go in, thank everybody, thank the cameraman, everything, you know, yep. security guys, anybody that you've had interactions with, I like to just kind of wrap up and, and be on my way. Yep. So that night, walking out of Pepsi Center, pretty much long after everyone was gone, I'm leaving the Zamboni entrance and I'm walking towards the, the loading dock area, which leads out to the players' parking lot and where the TV trucks park and stuff. And I'm walking and about 25 feet in front of me, there's a, a party of three that sort of come from through the hallway and, and they cut in front of me about 25 feet up. Turns out it's Patrick Waugh leaving the rink. 
with his two boys. Now, now Patty obviously dejected, you know, by the crushing loss and his boys who were, you know, like teenagers at the time were on both sides of their dad as they were walking out and they were proud, you know, they were proud to be on their dad's side regardless. But who knew that that was the last time that number 33 was going to leave the rink as a player. No one knew that a month later he was going to announce his retirement from the game. To this day, Steve, I can close my eyes and picture that walk like it was yesterday. The lighting in the Pepsi Center loading dock was really weird. It was almost like at only about 25%. So it cast Wah and his two boys in a silhouette with his son on each side and dad in the middle. And I followed them out for, it was about two minute walk. I followed them all the way through the loading dock, all the way out through the door. And as they were going to the players a lot, I kind of peeled off and went to the TV trucks. And at that time, I didn't really think much of it. Um, I just thought, oh, there goes Patrick. But like I said, a month later, that would turn out to be a two minute walk that I'll never forget. I can picture that. I'm trying to from what you said. Could you hear what they were saying? Or do you just, I was, could you hear no, their feet? Like what was the audio? Yeah, I, I, could just, I could just hear them walking out and it was very quiet. It was very somber. Patrick was still, uh, you, know, you know, Patrick was dejected and his boys were just there sort of to make that walk with him. And I just wish I, if I hadn't known then what I know now, I would have like taken a picture or recorded a short video or something. I would have creeped on him a little bit there because it was the most poignant moment that I can ever remember, you know, in my career, leaving, leaving an NHL rink. Like I said, that was a two minute walk. I'll never forget. And what's hilarious is my story is now about Patrick was second year in the NHL. So we're going back to 87 Stanley Cup playoffs. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. That's it. Oh, I think that's a police album, isn't it? It was a great one. It was. Yeah. Were there any bad police albums? Mm, Not, not, not in my mind. There wasn't. No, me neither. Um, so, 87, we're in Montreal. It's May. Philadelphia is playing Montreal in the Wales Conference Championship Series. One of the things I used to have to do in the playoffs a lot was features. So, if you weren't doing a game, you had to come up with a feature. It was really hard to do because you didn't have access to players. You didn't really have access to coaches. It was kind of limited. There were no daily pressers like there are now. So you basically had to hatch something from your mind. And (laughs) the added thrilling caveat of doing features in a Montreal series was you couldn't have any English in it that couldn't be translated to French. Because Last Where I Do Hockey Mm -hmm. wanted your features. They didn't have the manpower. May we. They didn't have the manpower. So whatever you came up with couldn't be a bunch of talking heads. Mm-hmm. That's why they love coming to Edmonton. Kevin Lowe could speak French. So mm-hmm. Kevin Lowe was a guaranteed interview every time Last Warrior was in Edmonton. So the feature idea I come up with is a guy is going to walk through the forum, the Montreal forum, the old one, with his son, and he's going to talk about everything he sees. He's going to talk about the Rocket Richard painting. He's going to mm-hmm. talk about uh, what's in the dressing room, the, you know, be the torch yours to hold high. I'm so embarrassed. I don't know the exact words of that Flanders Fields line, but I should. Going to look at the banners up in the roof. He's going to look at everything in the Montreal Forum. But of course, no faces can be used. We don't have actors. So I'm going to be the dad. Mm -hmm. And we need a kid to play my son. Mm -hmm. So, geez, what are we going to do? But we're at the forum ready to shoot this feature. And there's a lady coming out of the forum store which was in the corner of the building with her son and he's he's got his wrist in a cast something like that and i'm like oh this is promising yeah and i said listen here's what we're doing 
would you mind if we shot with your son for about half an hour? You're welcome to join us for the entire shooting moment. Would you mind? And so we start, and I think the first shot of the feature is my feet and his feet walking down the sidewalk, Mm -hmm. and then we're going to have a voiceover. And I don't think I voiced it, but I might have. We're walking past the Montreal Forum. Do you know what that's about? The boy says, no. And I say, well, come on in. I'll show you. So we turn. You see our backs. We go in. Then you see us from behind looking at the photos. And I'm talking about everything that's going on in the forum. And we shoot it pretty quickly, probably in 45 minutes. It's going to be great. We can voice it over in French. And during the break in the shooting, I say to mom, why are you guys at the forum during the day? Like, doesn't he have school? And she said, yeah. He had to have his wrist looked at by the doctor and then he didn't want to go back to school and he thought he'd come down to the forum because maybe he thought he'd see Patrick Waugh coming out of the building. Mm -hmm. And this will never translate in audio, but the little light goes on in my head and I say, Oh, really? Yeah, ding. That's what it sounded like. Except in my head, it was kind of muffled. It went, oh. So I think, wait a minute. Patrick Waugh's in the room right now. They just got off the ice. I said, would you be okay if he came into the room with me and he could meet Patrick? And wow. there, is, there is this, are you crapping me? Look from right. both of them. Right. And I said, you can't come in, but you can sit right here with our camera guy. We won't take the camera guy in. Would that be okay? And she's like, sure. So me and the kid go. And I say to him, just wait right here. And I go in and I say, Patrick, there's a young fan out here. I'd love to meet you for a couple of seconds. Would that be okay? He's just taking his equipment off from the skate. Mm-hmm. He goes, sure. I go out, I get the kid, we come in. And this, I don't even know if this kid talked. He was just so, yeah. his eyes were huge. Patrick talks to him for two or three minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then he gives him a stick. Oh my. Oh my God. So this kid yeah. turns and he thanks Patrick. And I'm like, thanks a lot, Patrick. We really appreciate it. Wow. He bursts out and yells, mom, mom, look what I've got. And that yeah. was it. This is the last I saw of him because he took off, like, you know, <laughs> at the end of E.T. when they're on the bicycle, and he just yeah. floated out of the yeah. rink with his mother. And I'm like, thank you. Watch the show tonight if you want to see it. I don't think they even knew there was a show at that point. That kid was on cloud nine, and I went back into Patrick, and I said, that meant so much. Thanks a lot. And he's like, no problem. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah, it was something I'll never forget, just the look on that boy's face. All right, uh, now we're, yeah, never. Seared in my head, just like your Patrick Waugh walking out the loading dock. 2006, World Junior, you're up. That's right, Steve. That's, this is my next one. Uh, so it is playoffs, right? I mean, technically it's playoffs. Yeah. It was for gold. It was for the gold medal. January 5th, 2006, GM Place, Vancouver, British Columbia. Battle of the Titans, Steve. Canada and Russia for gold. Doesn't get any better than that. Team Canada uh, had some pretty big names. Jonathan Taze, you may remember. Chris Letang, Andrew Cogliano, Mark Stahl. And Canada absolutely dominated the preliminary round. They went 4-0. and Perfect slate, outscoring their opponents 16-6. to On the other side of the ice, Russia. Same thing, stacked. You have Jenny Malkin, Alexander Radulov, Alexei Emelin. And in net, they had Varlamov and Hudobin. So it was a pretty good team they were icing wow. either. Same thing. They walked through the preliminary round 4-0, and outscoring their opponents 21-6. to The place was packed. Emotion was, the energy and the emotion was off the charts. I'll never forget, they dropped the puck. Steve Downey is, uh, is starting on the wing for Canada. Puck goes from the opening faceoff. The puck goes 
back into the Russian zone behind the net. Steve Downey just takes what seems to be about a run from the hash marks and just absolutely knocks the Russian defenseman through the end boards. No penalty on the play. She could have easily been charging. No penalty. Anyway, so ironically, it was Downey who opened the scoring just three minutes in. A couple of minutes later, Blake Como scored to make it 2 nothing. So all of a sudden, gold medal game. Canada's kind of running away with it, right? We moved to the second period. The score is still 2 nothing. Canada. Malkin, there's a skull mouth scrum around Justin Pogge, Team Canada goalie. Yeah. And they're scrumming for it. The puck's loose in the blue paint. Puck's loose in the blue paint. And then there's just pandemonium and the whistle goes. But as soon as the whistle goes, Malkin skates, looks at the Russian bench and he's skating over saying like, challenge this, challenge it. This was a goal. This was right. a good goal. Right. Challenge the goal. The puck was blown dead in the blue paint. Hoagie gets up and just kind of flips it around, you know, flips it to the linesman. And, and on the stoppage, we, we show three replays of the goal mouth scramble and the play that sets it up. And then, of course, it, they were playing with a hurry-up face-off rule, so we got to get back to the, to the draw. So we do. Now, they are playing with video replay in this tournament, okay? This is part important part of the story. Yeah. So R- Russia could have challenged. They could have said, oh, call the ref over. We want to take a look at that, right? But yeah. they didn't. So as soon as they drop the puck, it's we're playing again, right? Yep. And then they can't challenge it after that. Nope. So on the next stoppage, the first show, the first look we show on the replay sequence is net cam. Oh, oh. boy. Oh, it's boy. in. The puck is in. So the puck actually, you see the puck cross the line. It goes in and almost like it, like a curling, like think of a curling stone spinning. Mm-hmm. It hits the it hits the padding in the lower right part of the net and spins back out across the goal line into the blue paint. Right. So it's a but goal. it clearly it clearly crossed the line. It clearly like a hundred percent crossed the line. Okay. okay? Yeah. So now now this is two thousand and six. So they don't have the same bench technology that they have now, right? There's no mm-hmm. monitors at the bench. Mm-hmm. There's no video coach on a, an IFB to a coach, you know, down on the bench saying that cross the line challenge, right? It was anyway, it's mm-hmm. too late at this point because they dropped the puck and they resume play. Yeah. But I'll never forget once they drop the puck and start playing again on the game camera, the puck's going up and, you know, back and forth, left to right, left to right. And I can see on the game camera, this guy come flying down the Russian hallway <laughs> from the back of the dressing rooms to the bench. And he's uh, jumping up and down like, he, like he's got news of the world, right? Uh, and yes. and so, so now the Russians have seen the net cam replay, okay? Yeah, yeah. And they know that it was a goal. Uh, and yeah. now they are furious. They're furious. Oh, yeah. So we, I see them on the game camera, and I swear to God, Steve, it was less than three minutes. All we heard was bang, 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 bang. And it was like heavy, 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 heavy footsteps coming up the stairs. So remember, it was the score was two nothing at that point. Okay, so this would have made it a one goal game. So right. it was pretty, pretty important. Anyway, we hear bang, 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 and this heavy steps, footsteps coming up the the ladder, uh, coming up the stairs to the truck. Bang, bang, bang on the truck door. Bang, 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 and we're doing the game. So of course nobody answers the door, right? <laughs> of course not. Yeah. So anyway, this door busts open, and in come these like four Russian dudes and they're in our truck now and they're screaming. We, we want to see a replay. Show us, show us replay. We want to see a replay. That was a goal. Show us the replay. Right. And so John Hines, my producer, and I were in the middle of doing the game. Like we you're cutting cameras and they're, they're just cameras. screaming yeah, exactly. at you. Yeah. Ready one, oh take one, ready four, God. take four, oh ready three, God. you know, three, give me Steve Downey, take three. Like yeah. he's like, we must see a replay. Please show us a replay. And there was no, please. <laughs> no, show us replay. There was no, please. Right. Anyway, 
I turn around at one point, there's four guys in the truck, three of them are in the back. And now there's been people that have run up to, you know, stop them basically and, and try to talk to them and see yeah. the conversation gets sort of dragged outside of the truck. It involves Rick Chisholm again, who's our executive producer at TSN at the time and all the officials from Hockey Canada, tournament officials. It's turned into like basically a United Nations meeting at the base of the stairs to the truck. Right. But the one guy the biggest one of the largest humans I've ever seen. It was like a scene from a James Bond movie, Steve. <laughs> I turn around and this guy's about, looks to be about six, nine and he's Russian and he's wearing a black trench coat and he's got one hand inside his jacket. Okay. And he's just standing there staring at us, like saying nothing. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. Right? Maybe, maybe his hand is holding the hot dog order for yeah, the delegation or, yeah. to get at or, the intermission. Yeah. Or tonight's lineup maybe. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah. 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 So anyway, I get so scared and distracted by this. I turn around and I say, look, buddy. I said, you know, hey, can you step back, please, and take your hand out of your jacket? You're making me nervous. You remember and, and saying that? I did. I said oh. that to him in the middle of the game. Yeah. And, and, and meanwhile, outside, there's an emotional meeting going on at the bottom of the stairs. And I, I like I said, I was not privy to, to it because like John and I were inside doing the game. So yeah. anyways, things de-escalated enough. Buddy took his hand out of his jacket and stepped back and joined them outside, kind of left us alone. So things de-escalated and, and we never heard or saw any more at that point. But to this day, that was the scariest moment in my career. It was also the TSN turning point of the gold medal game too, because in that second period, Michael Blunden scored a pair of goals to bust it open for nothing. Canada would go on to win five nothing. But I mean, it all hinged on goal, no goal. And I will never forget, never, ever forget that night at GM Place in Vancouver. And in those days, check me if I'm wrong, they didn't have a million different camera angles. They only had your camera angles, right? So if you'd, correct. Yep. If you'd shown that net cam first before they dropped the puck, they still probably would have dropped the puck, but there was, there was no mechanism to stop the play and look at what might have happened, right? Exactly. Yep. It was all, the whole thing hinged on the timing of when we rolled the net cam replay. Now in, the, in our defense, you know, and it's funny too, I forgot to tell you this part of the story. So we're obviously, we're, 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 we're doing the broadcast for Canada. Now we're yeah. also the host feed. Yeah. So Russia is getting this feed live back in, in Russia, mm -hmm. but we're here for Canada, right? Obviously. Mm -hmm. So and we, the tape department especially, every year would decorate the truck with Canadian flags, Hockey uh, Canada. Our tape department was wearing like a Hockey Canada sweater, you know. So when they bust in, it's like, it's like a oh, Team yeah. Canada party in the truck, yeah. right? So, I mean, I can see how they would think that uh, maybe something fishy was going on here. But really, it was just in terms of the replay sequence. And, you know, John had all kinds of cameras. He had end zone robo. He had a Panavision. He had tight follow. He had handheld. He had all kinds of looks. And typically the net cam look is a bit what they called buried in tape, right? It's not a, it's not a red, blue, gold, silver look. It's more like a yellow, green, you know, X, Y look, which yeah, has to be, has to be fished out yeah. from, from the replay. And so, it, it, you know, in a situation where they stop the play and there's only 18 seconds before they're dropping the puck again, you're not getting net cam in right away, you know? So in fairness, in defense to, producer john and myself and the rest of tsn and the host broadcast it was it, it, the replay sequence was in the correct order it just happened to be after the face-off and when they couldn't challenge anymore yes just happened to be yeah netcam never a primary replay right i wouldn't no. think and no. um isn't it funny because you're talking about you know everybody's cheering for canada but when the light goes on and you're on the air 
you can separate that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like a professional separation. You almost throw a switch, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's, it's, uh, it can be, you know, the Washington Generals versus whoever at that point. It doesn't matter. You're doing the show the same way you would do the show no matter what teams are on the ice. Like the bronze medal game, which we did before that, was no different. Our approach was no different than it was the gold medal game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, maybe the Russians that day would have a hard time understanding that you can throw that switch within your mind as a professional broadcaster. And once it's thrown, that's it. You're as neutral as it gets. We're just doing the game. Yep. So now it's the 1985 Stanley cup final Oilers flyers. First time the Oilers and flyers have met in the Stanley cup final slats versus Mike Keenan, Glenn Sather, Mike Keenan are the head coaches. Philadelphia has come out of the East. First time they've had a good team in a few years since they were in the Stanley cup final in 1980. And we're in Philadelphia for game one. And I've never been to Philly before. I've never been to the spectrum before. I fly in late, probably because I'm doing a damn baseball game, and we're staying at the Crown Plaza West Philadelphia. I think that's where we were staying. I don't even remember. I just know it was a long way from the rink. Normally, we stayed, you probably did too, right across the big, the giant parking lot in the Hyatt or whatever that was, a Hilton maybe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we couldn't get in there. There was a convention or something. So we're way, way out in this Crown Plaza. And one of the things we talked about already was the cauldron, the stewing cauldron of being together for two months. Yeah, yeah. So we're working the West, me and John Shannon. And in the East, and, and we've got Don Whitman and Gary Dornhofer probably and John Garrett probably and John Davidson as our color guys. But in the East, Doug Beforce, the producer, Bob Cole's doing play-by-play, Dave Hodge is your host. I'm not sure who the color guy was, probably Harry. And we keep hearing stories about how, how do I say this? It's not going that smoothly in the Eastern Conference. Mm, okay. Yeah. Now we're having a hell of a time. We're doing, sure. we're doing series after series. The Oilers are rolling. We're right into it. We've just finished this insane Blackhawk series with the Oilers in Chicago Stadium. So we get to Philadelphia. And John says to me, we got to get every- Stevie, we got to get everybody on the same page. I'm like, all right, fine. We got to have some nice team bonding dinners. We got to get everybody on the same page because it sounds like David, Dave Hodge, and mm-hmm. Coley are not seeing eye to eye. They may, may have spent a little too much time together. Yeah, that can happen. Can, it can happen. And when I talk about the strongest personalities I've ever met, they may be. One and two on the list, and I'm not saying in which order. Mm-hmm. So the series hasn't started, and we, we decide, I don't know why we do these things, we decide we're going to go up and sit by the pool at the Crown Plaza. And it's important to note how we're sitting by the pool. Okay. It's me. Yep. Then Dave Hodge. Mm-hmm. Then John Shannon. Then mm-hmm. Coley. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting in our... Shay's lounges. So Coley is way down to my left. David's right beside me. And so John says, boys, I have heard, tell me if I'm wrong, that there has been a little, a little friction. There's been some moments through the Wales conference in the games that you've done, and we want to get you on the right track. We, this is the Stanley Cup final. This is a big deal, and we want to make sure everybody's on the right track. 
And Coley says, and he's, you know, he's got his cigarette in the black cigarette holder. Yeah. So picture Bob, nothing but a swimsuit and the black cigarette with the, the black cigarette holder with the cigarette. Right. And he says, John, I'm telling you right now, you've got nothing to worry about, my friend. <laughs> we are going to have a great Stanley Cup final. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, baby, there'll be <laughs> no problems with this group in this Stanley Cup final. And there's a beat pause. And David says, no, that's right, Bob. As long as you keep your goddamn mouth shut. Oh, uh, uh, oh, no. And Bob says, and I'm going to change the word to fudging, but it wasn't fudging. Okay. He looks at David and says, that's it. I'm going to butt this fudging cigarette right between your tits. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he lunges at Dave, but he's got to go across John. And John grabs him. John grabs him like a, like a football tackle or something. Yeah. And he's like, Bob, Bob. It's a and he says, Stevie, get him out of here. Get him out of here. I jump up. I go over and I say, it's okay, Bob. We'll, we'll get you a nice, a nice Captain Morgan's and Coke. We'll, 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 we'll get you down to your room. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Yeah, we'll get you down to your room. So I take him down the stairwell from the pool. <laughs> and we've diffused the situation. And I get Bob into his, leave me alone. I can get to my own goddamn room. All right, Bob. See you later. Just, just kind of cool off. Cool off. Just don't come back to the pool. Oh, my God. Not only, Paul, great lead in by you. Not only did he not come back to the pool, I don't think I saw him talk to David the rest of that Stanley Cup final. Wow. I don't <laughs> think they said another word to each other. Now, I don't tell that story very often. Because it is the most impactful moment I've I ever had on Hockey Night in Canada was just that right. I'm gonna butt this fudging cigarette right between your tits. <laughs> and he just jumps at him like a leopard or a cougar or something. And Dave never <laughs> like, Oh yeah, right. And Dave's ready, right? Like if he'd ever got there, it like thank oh. God we were sitting the way we were. That Goodness. was ba yeah, I think that was basically the day either John saved Bob's life or John mm -hmm. saved Dave's life. I'm not sure which one it was. <laughs> Somebody, I would have just rolled out into the pool and it would have been a, you know, a free-for-all between the two of them. But anyway, I had to lead Bob away. So that's, that's one of my enduring playoff memories. And it has nothing to do with a truck, a rink, or two hockey teams. That would have been a great Ford quality moment. <laughs> we, we, we didn't have a camera there, man. Oh, baby, <laughs> it's time for Q&A. Paul? What do you got for us? Well, Bob, I'm going to have to call our 30-second timeout here uh, and regroup because we've got a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. We now have a presenting sponsor for this segment, and we are super stoked to welcome Conquest Hockey into the Inside the Truck family. For those of you who are not familiar with Conquest Hockey, they are a premium lifestyle apparel brand uh, that was created to challenge the status quo inspire people to take action and be the best athlete you can be on and off the ice. Their motto, one of their hashtags is there's no participation medals. What they mean by that is you got to put in the work and you got to play to win. Okay. It's gimmick free. You're not going to find any of their t-shirts with give blood, play hockey or silky mitts. They have no gimmicks. They have a top shelf line of apparel. Check them out today. Conquesthockey.co conquesthockey.co outstanding line of apparel check them out we can't thank them enough for joining us 
we will get into some uh, some good giveaway stuff in the upcoming episodes. So be sure to check them out. I'm not a big fan of participation medals either. So that's going to work out just fine. What's our question for today, my friend? Okay, so this one comes from Dave Jameson uh, from Edmonton, Alberta. Dave wants to know, given the Tom Brenneman incident, have either of you been involved in a hot mic gone terribly wrong? And I think we have, we have to explain the Tom Brenneman incident, right? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So go ahead, Steve. He makes a slur on the air when he probably didn't know his mic was hot and probably didn't know he was on the air. But I'm not as hit in his head, so I don't know for sure. But something he says gets to air that shouldn't get to air. That's really what matters. And so Dave wants to know, uh, have you ever been in a situation like that? I, I have one that I can talk about from the CFL. It wasn't, it wasn't a hot mic gone terribly wrong because it happened during the play. So the mic was hot and it did go terribly wrong. But uh, do you have one you'd like to talk about first? I don't. And I've been very lucky because I was very um, cognizant of all that, especially when you're doing national broadcasts. But I think one thing that happens sometimes, and, and, and one of the reasons why it's a challenge in the truck is Often you're blind. You know what your show looks like leaving the truck, but you don't know what your show looks like going to air. Because when you leave the truck, it gets to master control, and then it goes through master control onto the air. And you're relying on other people to tell you when you've gone to break. So you'll go, all right, we're going to break in five, four, three, two, one, roll. Somebody will say we're clear, or gone for 90, or gone for two minutes, or clear for two minutes. Somebody in master will tell you that, or if you have a production assistant in the truck, they'll tell you that. That doesn't necessarily mean you're gone for that amount of time. There could be a problem in master with the playback. There could be a dozen other problems that could come up that would bring you back live before you knew you were live. The wrong length of commercial could be loaded in master control. So instead of being gone for two minutes, you were only actually gone for a buck 30. And when they came back, and this is where the problem lies, nobody tells you. Nobody says, uh-oh, we're back. Nobody says, oh, we're coming back in five seconds, not 35 seconds. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. And when they don't, that's when you have the problem. That's when you're in a situation where you literally scream, close everybody's mic, and you say it as fast as you can. And that was a default mechanism that I always had. And I don't think I ever had anything like that go to air in my career. Certainly not that I know of. The only thing that I've had that would come, well, sort of come close would be a, a, a flub, an on-air flub in which profanity made it to the air in the middle of the show. And that was a CFL broadcast in Winnipeg. I want to say this is probably late 90s, maybe early 2000s. Rod Smith on the call uh, for TSN. Leif Pedersen was his color man. Bob Cameron, the longtime punter for the Blue Bombers, dropped back to punt. Rod got a hybrid of the word kick and punt mixed up and went with that uh, as, his, as his call for the play. Um, so <laughs> uh, because this is a, a family show, I, I'm going to let you figure out what part got put where. Pick? Um, Did he say pick? No, it was the other way. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it, yeah. It was the hard k. Yeah. No, um, I got it. Yeah. I got yeah. It. Anyway, so yeah, and so Leaf Leaf Peterson, love Leaf to death. God rest his soul. 
didn't help poor Rod out at all. He instead he started howling uh, on the air. It was a live live laugh on the air as poor Rod thought that he had just called his last play and that he his career was over as he knew it. So that's the only one that I really had. I know that there's been plenty of other live mics that have been caught um, where player you know commentators have said stuff about players you know in an inter, uh, you know in a commercial break or something like that uh, which you know of course the home team both teams can see because they get they get feeds of all the broadcast into their coaches rooms video coaches rooms so I've heard about incidents like that but I mean I've been pretty blessed that that Rod Smith one was the only one where we had an absolute profanity or something that wasn't PG rated go to air and how many times have you heard the if you don't want it to go to air, don't say it wearing a microphone. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good it's, point. It's, it's just, it's really just not that complicated, but you get laissez-faire and you kind of forget and you take things for granted and that's not your friend. All right. That's a wrap on this episode, which we lovingly titled Playoffs. Hey, and remember, if you haven't already done so, hit the subscribe button on your favorite platform. Do not forget to follow Inside the Truck on Twitter and Inside the Truck Podcast on Instagram. I'm Steve Lansky. He's Paul Hemming. That's it for today. You keep listening in Jalisco, Mexico. Wow. And we'll, yeah, and we'll keep bringing you right inside the truck. Have you ever been to Jalisco? It's beautiful. Yes. Si, senor. Puerto Vallarta. Right there. Oh, so pretty. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs.